0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. So we get the joy of hearing from my friend, Sharon McCarter, this morning, which I'm so excited about. Um, and so, uh, and then next week we'll hear from Aaron, but we, we all take a time just to sit in the Psalms and breathe all, all together. So uh, that is continuing this morning. Um, if you want to, on your in your own Bible or device or whatever, we're gonna read Psalm 32 uh, and then Sharon will come out. It will also be on the screen behind me. Um, and we're just going to read the whole thing. So uh, if you want, you can listen, read along. Uh, sometimes it helps me just to close my eyes uh, and, and, and really to truly take a breath in the psalm. So Psalm 32. Uh, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule with no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're up, buddy.
1: Good. Thanks, Lenz. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys this morning. I love being over here at Springbrook. I don't get to come enough. Um, I'm Sharon, uh, just like Lindsay said. Uh, My husband and I co-pastor our Maryville location. And throughout the pandemic, we had a lot of staff reshuffle um, because that's always fun. And um, we, uh, our our youth pastor became our communications pastor. um, And I ended up becoming our youth pastor again, which is like my first love. I'm so excited about it. Um, Our kids pastor did... Started doing what I was doing. It was just a whole big reshuffle, but because of that, I got to um, plan with Aaron and Vineyard Springbrook, Maryville, and Springbrook. We worked together, and we did our first ever Vineyard summer camp on our own this summer, which was so much fun. Right, all things COVID, we couldn't go to the one we usually go to, and so we're like, we're gonna do it on, uh, you know, by ourselves. We got this because we have the best team, and it was really phenomenal. Um, heads up, we already booked it for next year because we're like, it was so good. It was so good. It was uh, so many kids were like, it was the best week of our lives and all that stuff. So we're really grateful. Um, I think it's one of the first times I went to a camp like that and I saw God do something significant in like every single student, you know, it was, it was completely um, powerful, but Um, I have all kinds of stories. I wish I could tell you all the stories, uh, but there's no time for that. Ask Erin. She has lots of stories. Uh, But our planned theme for youth camp was following Jesus for real. Like that was the plan. And God really showed up and God really did those amazing things. Like the last day students were like, I used to be a fan and now I'm a follower. I mean, there was tears. It was beautiful. And so all of that was like as planned. Um, But then there was another theme that sort of was like bubbling up at camp. It was not at all planned. Uh, The theme was brought to us mostly by the boys bunkhouse. And that theme was that confession is a really big part of following Jesus. (laughs) So I hadn't been to youth camp in a while. Like I said, it's what I used to do, but it had been a while. And I forgot about all of the craziness and shenanigans um, that the boys bunkhouse can pull off. And even though I was like, hey guys, no pranks. And so none of them were actually like in the prank category, but um, let's just say choices were made. um, And they weren't always the best choices. And every day I would get a call on my little um, walkie-talkie, mostly from Chad, and uh, he would say, Sharon, we have a problem. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Okay, so all the things they did, um, there was a lot of bad choices. Things happened that shouldn't have happened. Um, What was funny, though, is that the kids all had the same instinctive response and that was to hide <laughs> every time. Every time they did something, they hid. And so that led to our team doing some serious detective work, um, which we got pretty good at, I must say. Um, like Chad and John would like narrow it down, you know, and then they'd hand over the investigation to me. And I'm like, okay, I got this. And I'd have some suspects and I'd have to find the culprit. And um, yeah, I got pretty good at it. Like Natasha's husband, Phil, he's a he's a sergeant in the police department. And he was like, I think you have a real future in law enforcement. So, like if ministry didn't work out. And I'm like, ah, you know, I think this is just some good mom skills, right? Like you can figure it out. I'm like, I can see it on the face. Um, so I would finally, you know, they would narrow it down. They'd hand it over to me. I would find the culprit, right? But then that wasn't enough because their second instinct would kick in and that was to deny, right? Deny, deny, deny. Even though you're like, you are guilty, right? No, they would just deny. And so then it wasn't enough that I had to find the person, I would have to actually get them to confess, right? And again, every time I got the confession, you know, this is why Phil was quite proud, right? We found the person, we got the confession. Um, and, but in all seriousness, all it did was take me uh, communicating the gospel to them. You know, I would go and I would talk to them like, listen, guys, like carrying around this guilt is just gonna like weigh on you. It's a burden. It's gonna take its toll on you. Like we are at camp. Like that's not fun. You know, I want you to like confess this stuff so that you can like offload this burden and offload the guilt and actually experience like grace and forgiveness. You don't wanna be like weighed down with this stuff, right? Like there's like freedom and there's joy on the other side of just confessing, right? Right. And so seriously, by the grace of God, every time, every time a student confessed, which then you would think victory, like, woohoo, they confessed, right? But still, even after confession, instincts I would call now three and four, I think I might write a book, those kicked in. Um, They went from attempting to hide and deny to attempting to blame and justify. Now, it's crazy to me how instinctual the whole thing is. Now, before you like laugh or joke, or like you're thinking right now, like, thank God my kids are raised. Here's the thing. This is just as instinctual for us. Like for you and I as adults, this is just as instinctual for us. I heard Lindsay say a few weeks ago that adults are really a lot like teenagers. Like we all have the same problems. The only difference is we have mortgages, right? I heard that and I was like, man, that is so true, right? So true. We do the same things. Like We all try to pull the same stuff. We make bad choices, right? We sin against God. We sin against others. And then instinctively, we all try to do the whole hide, deny, blame, justify thing. And all too often, we get away with it. And like the air quotes are important, right? All too often, we get away with it. Well, here's the thing. I decided I wasn't going to let these boys get away with it. Right. That's why we were so into like finding out who it was and all this kind of stuff. Not because I'm like the mean camp lady who like can't let stuff go, right? I was determined to help these kids like own it and confess it because, like, seriously, because I just could not wait for them to experience the grace and the forgiveness of God. Like I was almost giddy about it, right? I was like, "Oh, this is going to be so good because they're going to experience how much we love them, anyways, and this is going to be great." Like I just wanted them to really get it, and a lot of times, like um, these kids who were even the ones who were sinned against, were like, "You know what? We can just let it go," and and they were trying to be so kind, which was like really sweet and so cool. But I knew that even though these kids were trying to be really kind. I knew that the kindest thing that we could do was to get them to experience like all the good stuff that comes on the other side of confession and repentance. And so like I was like legitimately excited for them to experience all those other things. I didn't want the kids to carry on that awful feeling for like the rest of camp or for the rest of their lives. And I know that sounds a little dramatic, but like shame has a way of staying with you. Shame has a way of staying with you. And so I'm happy to say that true confession and repentance and forgiveness and all the good stuff happened every single time. Now, here's the thing. It happened with the boys' bunkhouse stuff, right? But that stuff was, like, pretty trivial. Um, what was really amazing is that this also happened in the lives of so many other students who actually had, like, major things that they brought into camp with them. You know, major, uh, major guilt and major heaviness and major, sh- like, just shame, you know, for some things. And I sat with student after student and I saw them confess and repent and choose to submit to God you know, choose to no longer do things their way, but to do things God's way. And guys, they were so different after that. It was really actually fun to see the transformation of them after that. Afterwards, they were just so light and they were so free. You know, they literally were saying things like, I just can't stop smiling. You know, they would say things like, it is like the weight of the world has been lifted off my chest. And it wasn't just in their words, it was like in their whole countenance. It was incredible to see. You guys confession and repentance is life changing. So that's what Psalm 32 is all about. That's the psalm we're looking at today. It's a psalm it was written by David and it's called a maskol, which is it's it's an, an instructional psalm. It's a psalm of instruction. David is teaching us life lessons that he learned from his own life. And so through his own personal experience David learned the hard way that hiding our sin leads to guilt and a heaviness that will crush you. But that confessing sin will lead to a forgiveness and a joy that will free you. And that's what the psalm is about today. Again, this is all coming from David, his firsthand experience, right? Like all of us, David was no stranger to sin. He sinned lots of times. He sinned in lots of ways. We get to read all about it, which that's fun. I'm glad I'm not in the Bible, right? It's like we all get to know what David did. Some people think that this psalm is referring to the time when he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Other people think it was, you know, referring to a different time in his life, and so we're not really sure exactly what David is confessing to here. But what is what he's teaching us is universal about like all sin. Like no matter how we sin against God, there is incredible weight from doing all the things that we all instinctively try to do. Hide, deny, blame, justify. But when we finally do what we're supposed to do, like like David finally did, when we finally just openly confess our sins to God, when we stop hiding it, stop denying it, stop blaming others for it, when we just openly confess, that's when we can experience all of the blessings on the other side. And so that's why David wrote this psalm. I feel like he was me at camp. You know, he was like, I'm just so excited for them to get this, for them to get like all the good stuff on the other side. And so he wrote this psalm for us for that reason. So Psalm 32, verses one and two. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. And so the first word of this psalm is blessed. Now, this word blessed is a Hebrew word that refers to the true happiness that one can only find through a right relationship with God. The true happiness that one can only find by having a right relationship with God. I think that's really important because we live in a culture where like hashtag blessed is everywhere and it's on the t-shirts and the mugs and the wall art and it's everywhere. And I think sometimes we look at the blessed signs and all that stuff and we just think that means that these people's lives are just perfect. Everything's going their way. You know, every day is just like one answered prayer after another. Like that's not what blessed means. To be blessed means that you are in a right relationship with God, meaning that you and God are, that, that you guys are in a right relationship, that there's not any sin in between you, that we are covered by the blood of Christ. It means that we are loved, we are forgiven, and we are free. Does that make sense? It just makes me feel better when I see all the blessed signs in my house. Okay, um, so uh, the NLT version um, he says, uh, David actually says, it's translated like, oh, what joy for those you know, whose disobedience is forgiven. And he says, yes, what joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of guilt. And so clearly David is starting the psalm. I mean, he's in a really good mood, right? He is like, I am so blessed, I am overjoyed. And again, all of this is because he has finally experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God. It's like he could breathe again. Because that wasn't always the case. There was a a moment, right, when I think breathing was hard for him. Living was hard for him. And it was when he made terrible mistakes, when he sinned against God, and when he spent quite some time trying to hide it from God. That took a huge toll on him. That's what he talks about the next verses, three and four. He says, When I kept silent... Like so when I was like silent and I just didn't want to face it and I didn't want to, you know, confess it, when I kept silent, he said, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You guys, when David do that did that, when he was refusing to admit a sin and confess a sin, it made him miserable. Miserable. And I'm sure he did all the things that we do. I'm sure he tried not to think about it. You know, like, just think happy thoughts. Like, I'm sure he tried to, like, rationalize it or justify it. I'm sure even he tried to, like, blame someone else for it. But in the end, it just tore him up inside. Physically, we learn he wasn't well. He was saying, my bones are wasted away. I don't think that's a good sign, Um, Dr. Rodney probably not. Okay. Um, mentally, emotionally, it says like he was not well, like he was groaning all day long. I don't know if you ever like groaned, like you're not, you're not okay, right? Spiritually, he wasn't well. He talks about this heaviness that was on him all the time, and made him feel weak and tired. He just wasn't doing well. I don't know if how many of you guys can identify with how he felt, but that feeling of guilt is just the worst, right especially if you let it linger especially if if you think it's just gonna get better or just be go away and it just doesn't and it's just draining i remember this time when i was a kid And I felt so guilty about something. I mean, so guilty for so long. And I kept it from my parents for like literally years. Like it's one of those things where I'm like so sad about it. I look at my kids. I'm like, don't you ever keep anything from me? Um, Not because I want them to be in trouble, because I don't want them to experience that, that amount of guilt and that amount of shame. I mean, it was years I carried that around with me until I finally came clean one day. And guys, it changed everything. I can't even describe to you the freedom that I felt, the weight that was lifted off of me. I still remember a time when I was just like gripped by fear by something as I was hiding guilt, as I was hiding a sin. And then I remember the joy and the weight that went away when I finally confessed it. And what's crazy is that I didn't even get in trouble for it, right? I mean, that's, that's like so true in so many cases. Like our first instinct is to hide and to deny and keep everything a, a secret. I think Satan wants us to do that. We always think it's going to be so much worse if we actually talk about it or get it out there. But the truth is hiding it, hiding it and keeping it a secret, all that stuff, that is what makes everything so much worse. Like God does not want us to carry around this kind of guilt It's too much. Like, it will cripple us in so many ways. God wants us to acknowledge the feeling of guilt, but then do something about it, right? Confess it so that we can be free from it. So as much as I hate feeling the feelings of guilt, the truth is it's really not that bad of a thing if, now I know this is a big if, but if you know what to do with it, right? I've actually heard it say that guilt is a gift that keeps on giving. That sounds so weird because we know God doesn't want us to like feel guilty, but he doesn't, the truth is he doesn't want us to feel guilty for long. (laughs) Like if you are guilty, that's conviction, right? And he's like, no, if you know what to do with it, guilt is a gift. So if we can acknowledge like, yeah, I do feel guilty. I feel weird. That can be a good thing if it drives you to the cross. Like if that feeling leads you to seek the forgiveness of the Lord. And that's what David finally did in the Psalm. He's teaching us, he says in verse five, he says, then I acknowledged, another Hebrew translation is, I finally acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Like I stopped hiding it, right? I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so finally, David is done with the whole hide, deny, blame, justify thing. He finally acknowledges all that he's done, all that he sinned against the Lord. He confesses it. Um, it's really cool if you study it. It talks about how he doesn't try to dress it up. He doesn't try to water it down. You know, we do this, right? We're like, yeah, well, maybe it wasn't that. Even, even to the Lord, I'm like, well, was it that bad? Or was it really? And it's like David stopped all the games. He put it all before the Lord, which is really hard. You feel really exposed He did it all. He went through the hard work, the emotional work, the courageous work of admitting all that he had done. And what did God do? He met him with total and complete forgiveness. That is why he is so blessed and he is so overjoyed in the first two verses of the psalm. And what's funny is I think for church people, some of us um, have, say, maybe we've practiced confession and we don't feel overjoyed or super blessed or like we want to write a psalm about it, you know? Like we've confessed and sometimes like, we're like, I don't know, what's the big deal? And I think it's because we forget either one, how great our sin really is, right? Because like the more you sin, the more you're like grateful that you've been forgiven. So I think sometimes we forget the depth of our own sin And I think sometimes it's also because we forget how all-encompassing and how incredible God's forgiveness really is. And so we're going to take a a deeper dive into those first two verses. Uh, We're going to geek out a little bit um, on what David is saying because they are so incredibly rich. And what he is saying, we're just reading like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, But when we understand the meaning behind like every phrase that he uses in those first two verses, we're going to realize like God's forgiveness is so all-encompassing that of course I should be like singing psalms of joy, right? Okay, so we're going back to verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Okay, this whole phrase, like transgressions are forgiven, it means that God actually lifts up the burden and the guilt and carries it away. I just love it because like, we know that God has always done that and still does it because like, the student I was talking to was like, it's like a weight's been lifted off my chest. I'm like, oh my goodness, God's always been doing that, right? Because this verse right here, this phrase, it is um, where we get the term scapegoat from. Are you familiar with a scapegoat? Have you ever been the scapegoat, (laughs) right? The scapegoat is someone where it's like everyone, uh, it's like the scapegoat takes the blame for everyone so that everyone else can go free. That's what a scapegoat is. And this is where the term comes from, right? And it comes from the Hebrew sacrificial system where it was a common practice for the high priest to find a goat, lay their hands on the goat, and confess all the sins of the people. So they were putting like all the sins of the people onto the goat, and then the goat was sent off into the wilderness to run far, far away. And it signified how God was literally carrying away their sins, carrying off their sins. It's beautiful. Like there's so many things about the Old Testament sacrificial um, system that points to Jesus, right? Jesus is the perfect and final scapegoat for us. We put all of our sins on him. He bore them all on the cross. He paid the, the price of all those sins and we get to be absolutely free. Free from the guilt, free from the burden, free from the, the punishment. And so our transgressions are forgiven means that, that we have a scapegoat. Okay, Also. Awesome. The next phrase is our sins are covered. Now, David uses this term, sins are covered, which means that our sins are literally put out of sight. That is incredible. That means that God puts our sins out of his sight, which means that he will never again bring them up as a matter of judgment between him and us. That is amazing. You know, he keeps no record of wrongs, right? That's love, that is incredible. You know, we are literally, our sins are literally covered by the blood of Christ. And this is cool because this meant a lot to David because he uses the same word for covered in verse 1 and verse 5. Before he was saying, I was trying to cover my sin. But now that I finally exposed my sin, my sins are actually covered by God. It's like, guys, we have to stop hiding and covering our sin if we want the Lord to cover our sins in full That is better, David is saying. That is better. Then he says, Blessed or blessed is he whose sin the Lord does not count against. This, This idea of not counted against means that there is no longer any record of it. Again, this is a lot like before. We are forgiven by God, our record is totally wiped clean like it didn't even happen. And guys, this is incredible because that's not how it works in this world. In this world, if you commit a crime, it is on your record for good. It is on your record for good or bad. That's how this world works. Even if you paid the price or did the time or do whatever, your crime is still on your record in a lot of cases. Like, in a way, it still marks you. You know, like, that's why it's so hard for anyone who's ever committed um, a felony to get a job. Because even though they've been forgiven or they've paid the price or whatever, it still sort of stays with you. It is on your record. But here we have David who committed adultery and murder and all kinds of stuff. And God chose not only to forgive him, but to also wipe his record clean for good as if it didn't even happen. Guys, this is such a big deal. This is why the gospel is actually good news. When we are forgiven by God, We are no longer marked by our sin. Our past, our mistakes, they do not define us. Psalms 103, 10 through 13 explains this really well. It's so beautiful. Maybe I'll preach on this one next year. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. It's incredible. Finally, David, the last one, the last phrase we're going to geek out on here is, blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, this means that, uh, that we're just being real. Right, that we're being real with ourselves, we're being real with God. We're not faking confession because the Bible tells us to. Um, We're not holding anything back. You know, we're not pretending that we're not that bad, um, that we don't really need His help. Right? I think there's all kinds of ways that we're we deceive ourselves. You know, like I'm not that bad, or I don't really have that many sins to actually confess of. You know, or when we're confessing, we're holding things back. And um, we read this uh, earlier, First John one eight through nine says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, we have to stop pretending that we don't really sin that much. <laughs> Like, we need to stop measuring ourselves against, like, the world or, like, the person next to us or whatever. Like, we are actually supposed to, like, have a practice of measuring ourselves up against the word of God, right? The Bible is supposed to be, like, a mirror for us. So think about when you get up and you get ready in the morning and you always look in the mirror before you leave the house, mostly, right? Um, so I was talking to middle schoolers and they were like, not on my own, dear. I'm like, look in the mirror. You gotta look in the mirror before you leave the house. Okay, so you look in the mirror, you leave the house and you look at the mirror and you, you think, does everything look okay? You know, does everything look okay? And what, what do I need to change? You guys, the Bible is meant to do that for us. We're supposed to read the word of God And we're supposed to ask, like, does everything look okay? And what is it that I need to change? If you are reading God's word on a regular basis, then I can assure you, you will be practicing confession (laughs) on a regular basis. I mean, I, I can't read the word without getting convicted about something. Those two things, they go hand in hand. And so when we're authentically reading the Bible, like the Bible judges me, I don't judge the Bible. When we're authentically reading the Bible, we will authentically confess and repent, and that will lead to authentic change. That's what he means when he says there's no deceit in us. We're just being real about it. God, this is who I really am. This is who you really want me to be. You're going to have some work to do, you know? Okay, so uh, we're going to move on with the psalm um, because then David tells us something else. He tells us that confession is so important that we cannot risk putting it off any longer. It's something that we have to do right now. He says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And so David explains here um, that confession needs to get moved to the top of our lists. Now, I don't know about you, I have a running to-do list all the time. Like, it is on the computer, so it's running, and I'm always adding things to the top, which means things are always getting, you know, shoved to the bottom, which means I never actually do those things right? I met with Johnny a couple weeks ago. Um, We had our monthly review, and he asked me, um, one of the questions he asked me was, uh, what is something that you have viewed as important, but not urgent? And then the thing I wrote down, like, full disclosure, was, like, my health. And then I wrote, which I'll work on after vacation. (laughs) And, like, we, like, cracked up about it. I'm, like, this is what we do, right? This is what we do for confession. It's, like, well, that's not fun. I'll do that tomorrow. Maybe next week. I'll do it. I get it. That's a big, biblical thing. We'll do it sometime. And David is saying, no, 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 no. It is not only important. It is urgent. We have to make this a priority. And here's why. He tells us because we have to confess while our hearts are still open to correction. Guys, like, you know, we're pastors. I see a lot of people with a lot of um, hearts that have been hardened. Our hearts harden. And we can't just assume that we're always going to be in this state of, of receiving um, from God and, and actually um, feeling conviction from God. And that, that can go away when we avoid God, when we don't let God work and move in our lives. And so we have to confess now while our hearts are open to it. We also have to confess while God is still listening to us. Don't know what that means, but it makes me want to do it now, right? We're not promised tomorrow. So he's like, do it now. And we have to confess because he says, if we don't deal with it now, things will only get worse. That's what he's talking about. He's like, these mighty waters, they're rising. Like it's going to catch up to you. But if you confess, things will get better. The waters will recede. They will not reach you. God will protect you. He'll take care of you. Those are incredible promises. So uh, one kid at camp who I absolutely adore, um, he made some bad choices. And this was kind of like the more serious of the bad choices. And uh, I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to confess. You're going to confess to God. You're going to confess to the kids you sinned against. And, you know, it's going to be okay. Well, he was terrified. He was absolutely terrified. And I explained to them the gospel and all the things. And he he admitted that confession is the right thing to do. He just didn't want to do it right then and there. And um, it was pretty funny because I was like, um, dude, like they all know that you did it. (laughs) So, like, you might as well just say it. And he just wanted to put it off and off and off. And finally, um, you know, there was a phone call home. Mom was saying the same things I was saying. Again, I just couldn't, he was miserable. He could not lift his head up. His head was down in shame. He didn't want to face anyone. He didn't want to look anyone in the eye. He was miserable. I just could not wait for him to get to the other side. I'm like, these kids are going to love you. They're going to forgive you. And he would say, no, they're not. I would say, yes, they are. He'd say, no, they're not. I'm literally, I was like, what am I doing? I'm arguing. What, what is happening right now? And, uh, and then he finally said, maybe that's true for people your age. <laughs> that was my favorite. I was like awesome. I was like, also true for people your age. I was like, I know these kids. It's going to be awesome. All this stuff. Uh, He wanted to put it off. I knew putting off was going to make it worse. Finally, finally, he confesses to these boys. And guys, it was like my, the highlight of my camp. Like these boys surrounded him. They hugged him. They forgave him. They, They befriended him. They surrounded him. And then you know what happened? He still didn't believe it. He hung his head down in shame the rest of the night. And I was like, oh, man, like, is he not going to get to the other side of this? It's supposed to be good on the other side. And he didn't trust it. He didn't trust it. He didn't trust them. He's like, nope, those people, they just did that because I was in the room or something, you know. Like, he didn't trust it. And the next day, uh, I talked to him at our campfire. It was the next night. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, how are you doing? How's your day? And he looked at me with that changed countenance. You guys, I have goosebumps talking about it. And he said, this is the best day of my life. I have so many goosebumps. And I was like, really? I was like, is it because you actually experienced like love and forgiveness for the first time, like real from your friends? And he said, yes. And then because we were being so childish the day before, I was like, can I say I told you so? And he was like, yes. And we hugged and we celebrated and we worshiped. It was incredible. It was incredible. His life was changed. Guys, what he experienced that day is the same thing that David experienced. It is hard and it is scary to confess, but we have to trust that God will take care of us on the other side, that he will deliver us from the weight and the guilt that is so incredibly crushing and that he will forgive us in a way that will be incredibly healing. So guys, guilt, it's a terrible thing if you just let it linger, if you let it eat at you, but it can be such a gift if you let it bring you to Jesus. And so we're going to finish to find out what comes next. I just want to finish the whole psalm because it's so good. But after we confess and after we repent, David tells us what's next. In verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. So David teaches us that God responds to our confession and our repentance, not only with forgiveness, but with a promise to guide us and to teach us all the days of our lives. Like He wants to teach us. He wants to counsel us. He wants to show us the better way to go. He doesn't want us to learn all of life's lessons the hard way. If you're a parent, you get that. It's like, you could do it my way or you could do it the hard way. I feel like that's what God's saying. He's like, no, I've got this. Like if you were open, if you're saying, okay, I did it my way and it was terrible and I'm sorry and I wanna do things your way. He's like, yes, yes, because true confession and true repentance comes with a true desire, desire to change, to follow him, to do things his way instead of ours. And then he concludes the whole Psalm in verse 11. He says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous you who have a right relationship with god sing all you you who are upright in heart and so he ends the psalm the same way he started it he's showing us the fruit the fruit of confessing to god the fruit of receiving the forgiveness of god it is a right relationship with god it's a heart that is overjoyed a heart that is blessed a life a life that is free guys that's what david wants for all of us that's what god wants for all of us. That's why he wrote the psalm. And so as um, band comes up, or just Hitch, somebody, the one man band, I've seen him. As Hitch comes up, uh, we're going to go into our time of Selah, a time where we pause, where we have a sacred pause. Uh, cause, I mean, this is a big, heavy subject, um, and it's not like we're going to get it all taken care of right now, but it's a good start. It's a good start where we're gonna pause and just start being real with God, start confessing our sins to God. We start um, realizing that this is true, that the whole like hide, deny, blame, justify thing is just gonna result in that guilt and that heaviness that will crush us. But guys, trust God that confessing and repenting, it will give you a joy, a joy that will set you free. So I know a lot of people say that the grass is not always greener on the other side, but when it comes to confession, It actually is. The grass is actually greener on the other side. And so I just urge you today to do whatever you have to do to get to the other side. You know, don't let this eat you alive. Let your guilt do what it's supposed to do, which is drive you to Jesus. And so I just encourage you guys to do the hard work, getting it all out. Trust that God will meet you with forgiveness and grace every time. I'm going to end with Psalm, actually Proverbs. 28.13 is such a good word of wisdom for us. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. And so we're gonna take time today, we're gonna confess, we're gonna repent so that we will receive mercy. And again, some of you are sitting here and you're probably like, you know exactly what you're supposed to confess. It's been heavy on you. And you know exactly what God wants of you in that in this moment, and so I just encourage you to do it. Don't hide. Let Him hide your sin. But for some of you, you might be like, "I don't even know where to start." And that's when you ask God, like, "God, how have I sinned against you?" Let's let's uh, start hearing His voice and allowing the Holy Spirit to like convict us again because it's a gift. So let's pray. Father, we. Uh, we recognize right now that this is a holy moment. We have read your scripture. We have learned your scripture. We have peered in to scripture to your heart. Now it's our time to respond. So Lord, show us how we've sinned against you. And help us, Lord, confess everything. And God, I pray that this would be something that we, we do later today, that we do tomorrow, the next day. That we would make a habit, Lord, of confessing our sins, of repenting from our sins, and of doing things your way and not ours. Have your way, God. Amen.